Welcome to Talking Kotlin. And on this episode, I'm sitting down with Leland Richardson talking Jetpack Compose. Hey, Leland, welcome to the show. Hey, Hattie, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, so before we get into whole Jetpack Compose, give us a brief intro of uh, who you are, where you're working for folks, you know, a few folks that still may not be familiar. Sure. So my name is Leland Richardson. Uh, I'm a software engineer currently working at Google, um, in particular on the uh, Jetpack Compose, which is a new UI toolkit um, being built by the Android team. And how long have you been at Google? Like, did you just start um, with that? I, or? Yeah, actually, this was the project that I was hired for. Um, and I've been there just over two years now. Oh, nice. That's always interesting, like getting hired for a new project, I guess, right? As opposed to moving on from one project to another one. Yeah, it was it was a pretty unique situation. I, I wasn't exactly looking, um, but, uh, you know, obviously this was a pretty unique opportunity and um, this project was just too good to pass up. And what's your background? Because I know you mentioned something about JavaScript, right? Sure. Yeah. So before working on Jetpack Compose, uh, well, so the, the previous company I worked at was Airbnb. And um, I, I have a, a long background as a web developer. Um, really, I've kind of done a lot of different things. Um, at Airbnb, I started off as a front-end web engineer um, <clears throat> and then moved to what was called the native infrastructure team. And I started working on uh, the infrastructure for a mobile app in particular, uh, the React Native effort that was um, that was being pushed there. Uh, and so I, I have a lot of history, I guess, with um, declarative UI toolkits and uh, designing APIs for them and, and working with that and kind of had a unique um, background with React Native and integrating React Native uh, more seamlessly into the the native platforms. Um, and actually, the, the main reason uh, I think that I was um, reached out to for this project was I was working on a side project, which was uh, a port of React to both Kotlin and Swift. Um, and and the the similarities, I guess, were uh, um, ha had some overlap. Like, did you have professional experience working uh, on the JVM Java side of stuff, or it was? Yeah. So before Airbnb, I worked at a, a startup, and I, I had built both our Android and iOS apps. Um, and uh, you know, I had some experience at Airbnb as well, uh, although did not do much feature work specifically um, targeting Android or or iOS there, but uh, did work on our infrastructure a bit. Okay, so you were familiar with the whole tool chain and everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, because then, well then, I guess my question about, so how does it feel as a JavaScript developer coming to the JVM and tool chain? Well, I guess we can't ask that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I guess I consider myself a, a bit of a, uh, polyglot or a nomad nomad when it comes to programming languages. I 
Um, See, I, I don't feel particularly attached to anyone. And I like that. And I also like the term polyglot way more than this full stack thing. Because, yeah. you know, it's like well, sometimes when people say I'm a full stack engineer, I'm like, in what stack? <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really get excited when it comes to learning new ecosystems and, and new ways that, that people are doing things because each ecosystem kind of has its own um, particularities, but they're, they're also just, a, there's a lot of pattern matching that goes on uh, between these and you can see uh, similar ideas spreading and, and um, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah, and you learn a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say copying, but there's a lot of inspiration from one e ecosystem to another. But there's also innovation going on, right? And there's also improvements uh, in, in these areas. I mean, like before I joined the JVM ecosystem, or earlier than that, I was also in JavaScript, but at some point I was in .NET. And we used to joke around that, you know, .NET has everything that, the JVM ecosystem has with an N in front, yeah? Because you we mm -hmm. you had JUnit, we had NUnit. You had Hibernate, we had N-Hibernate. And it's like that, that right. was a tendency. Yeah. Everything put an N in front and bring it to .NET. Yeah, now a K with Kyle. <laughs> yeah, now a K with Kotlin, KUnit and Kibernate. Yeah. Actually, there isn't a Kibernate. I'm going to register that one. Kibernate. Well, all the ORMs are a thing of a past, apparently. Cool. Anyway, so jumping forward, now you're at Google and working on Jetpack Compose. So give us a quick, short summary of what Jetpack Compose is. I know you briefly just mentioned it, but refresh. Sure. Yeah, so uh, Jetpack Compose is kind of the Android's team take on, uh, on sort of a new modern UI toolkit. And it's Kotlin first, uh, so it, it targets the Kotlin language directly, and we'll, we'll probably touch on that a bit more uh, later. Um, it's it's completely unbundled from the operating system, which means that uh, it's basically developed as a library and user space. So the the main benefit of that is that we can make changes and updates, and you can um, update to a newer version of Jetpack Compose. Uh, without waiting for your users to get on newer phones and, and things like that. Um, it's a declarative uh, UI toolkit, which um, kind of matches a lot of other innovation that's happening right now and, and um, more recent frameworks in, in other ecosystems, um, similar to like say Flutter or React or SwiftUI. Um, it's a... Uh, a toolkit where you write in code uh, the the logic for what your UI should look like uh, right at that moment. And then the framework itself kind of figures out how to make that performant. When you say Kotlin first, what does that actually imply? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, it, it could mean a lot of things in different contexts. Like you might say, okay, we're we're writing APIs that are uh, specifically geared towards the Kotlin usage. Um, but it's actually much more than that. In this case, we're uh, everything we're writing is 100% Kotlin uh, for Jetpack Compose. And more than that, this runtime is, or the, the UI toolkit is actually, part of it is a compiler plugin for the Kotlin compiler. Okay. And so we, we utilize, um, 
some of the extension points that the Kotlin compiler has to uh, make the the programming style uh, more ergonomic and um, also more performant. Okay, and and we'll touch up on that. Uh, but before that, so Kotlin first. Again, people that are in the Android community and uh, in the Google community may have heard this expression of Kotlin first that Google has been talking about, right? Which is, you know, we are targeting Kotlin first in terms of documentation, in terms of APIs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but outside of the Android world, some people may not be familiar with the with the terminology. Does this mean, though, that you can only use this now from Kotlin? Uh, sort of. So there's... Basically, you can only define new components like new UIs in Kotlin if you're using Jetpack Compose, but you could uh, instantiate that UI from Java if um, if you needed to. But for the most part, the actual programming that will be done in Jetpack Compose uh, will require Kotlin because of the compiler integration that we have. And is it, I mean... Obviously, it's hard to, you know, describe how it looks on a podcast. So let's make this challenging. Yeah. What? How? How do you write code in Jetpack Compose? Like, if I let's say that I have a login screen, and and I have a you know a two two fields in a button. How do you do that in Jetpack Compose? Because folks come from different backgrounds. Some know that, you know, like for example, in the XAML world or in the Xamarin world or whatever, you would basically write some XML um, in, in, in back in the old days in, in I don't know, WinForms, it would, it would generate some C-sharp code. So how do you write that UI with Compose? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. So basically, with, like I, I guess to describe this, I'd like to describe kind of what is meant when we say something is declarative. Yes. Um, because it's a bit of a buzzword, and I think a lot of people lose sight of what what it actually means. Um, but uh, kind of hidden in in the word, I guess, is is the idea is that you declare what you want something to look like, and and so basically the code that you write ends up describing the the UI quite literally. And something would be declarative um, if you're if you're describing what you want the end state to look like, and kind of getting from zero to, to the end state is sort of left up to the, the framework or the runtime um, to do. And so what, what it looks like when you write Jetpack Compose is we, we actually, our primary unit is the function. And so we have what we call composable functions, um, which are just normal Kotlin functions, except for uh, they're annotated with a at composable annotation. And um, they, uh, these functions have inputs uh, like as parameters, just like any other function. And you can think of that as the data flowing into your UI. And based on that data, uh, what you can do is you can write code that you know, reads or transforms that data in any way, and then uh, executes other composable functions in, uh, in a structure that mimics the UI that you're wanting to use. And so we, we really leverage Kotlin's um, sort of DSL-friendly syntax here. And so a uh, composable function might have a name um, 
like uh, you know text field or uh, row or column. Um, and then what happens is that the uh, for something like row, which is something that would accept children, um, we leverage Kotlin's trailing lambda syntax to create this sort of structure uh, that would, you know, it, it basically you can think of it as mapping one to one with XML uh, or or some some other uh, kind of tree like structure. Yeah. Uh, but the the key difference is that we're able to um, write logic like control flow. We can use uh, if statements and for loops and any other sort of programming utilities that you're used to. You can use, you know, RX Java or Flow. Um, and using these things, you can write very very dynamic UIs that. Uh, kind of read very simply and you don't have to worry about updating that UI. You just have the function execute the code that represents the UI that you want given the data that was passed in. And the reason that I bring this up is just, you know, briefly going back to Java is because, you know, I kind of knew that we're going down the DSL path. So when I was talking about this being Kotlin first and you're like, well, you could kind of use it, but does it really make sense to be able to, to, or not be able to, but does it really make sense to use this to its full potential from Java if you're kind of, you know, leveraging a lot of the uh, Kotlin language to have a DSL-like approach to to declaring your uh, components? Right. Well, I, I mean, in this case, it's not even really possible to, yeah. to define uh, a composable function in Java just because the... The way our runtime works, it's very intimately involved with the compiler, and so um, it you would only be able to write a, a normal function, and it wouldn't quite work the same way. Okay, and for people that may not be familiar with with what a composable function is, could mm -hmm. you briefly explain that? Yeah, so kind of as I was mentioning before the the composable function is kind of our base unit um and so you can think of it as being analogous uh to like an android view um in in the android uh ecosystem or similar to like a react component in the react ecosystem um or or a flutter widget um and this is kind of the the building block that that we want people to to go and do um, when, whenever they're writing UIs. And the, as the name kind of implies is the, the API is really geared in such a way where it's very, very easy to compose different composable functions together um, to create different abstractions. And, and that's kind of like one of the, one of our main goals um, was to kind of get out like relative to the current Android toolkit, it's quite difficult actually to create a view subclass. Um, if you want to create a custom view, you uh, you need to create a new class that, that inherits from uh, you know some other view class. But there's also a lot of different methods um, that you need to override in order for things to work properly. And it, it ends up kind of being that doing a view subclass is sort of an advanced um, Android thing. Like it, it's not something that you do day to day. 
But with Jetpack Compose, creating a new composable function is kind of all that you do. And, and so that's sort of like the hello world of Jetpack Compose is, is, is writing a composable function. And all of, all of the things in our toolkit are also just composable functions built on other layers of the system. The entire system is built in such a way that um, you're, you're sort of able to, to write uh, at different layers of the system all sort of in the same way, just targeting different different functions. And because of that, if you want to write something at a lower level of abstraction, uh, it's it's basically the same as writing something at a higher level of abstraction. And so you can kind of adjust that dial uh, depending on whatever the, the task is, but the skills you need to understand are, are the same. In the functional world, right? We talk a lot about functional composition, right? And that you can compose one function to another. Are you using this same terminology in in the sense that what we're talking about is composable functions, which is, you know, if I have a f of x and a g of x, then I can compose these? Or are you, because, you know, if someone Googles composable function, I guess my my... Google is a little bit biased, but the first hit that comes up is actually from developer.android.com, right? And then like three yeah. links down, it talks about functional composition in functional programming. Mm -hmm. So is it the same concept that you have here? Right. It, it depends on how pedantic you want to get. Uh, I mean, in, in functional programming, uh, typically compose uh, would be a a function that takes, it's a higher order function that takes in other functions. And so if you took in F and G and those were two functions, then the result would be a function that executed F of G of yeah. the input. Um, and like there is no sort of composed function that matches that signature, so to speak. Um, but the, the fundamental ideas are the same in that uh, what we're talking about is uh, taking functions and um, creating higher order functions that can uh, compose the uh, the semantic of the other functions that are that are being passed in and this type of programming um, is sort of what happens all over the place in compose uh, however if you're very familiar with functional programming um, it might be different enough to where uh, you know things are, are kind of not not what you expected if you think this is going to be uh, functional programming, so to speak. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. It's just to you know clear things mm -hmm. up a little bit for folks that may be in the functional programming uh, arena, right. so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, a, a key difference with com compose Jetpack Compose is um, that that might kind of uh, take functional programmers kind of back a little bit is we actually leverage the execution of the function um, to seal the result into a contextual parameter that's implicitly passed through all of the functions. And so um, you can think of executing a, a, a composable function. It, like Most composable functions are going to be uh, functions that return unit. And so it sort of looks like you're executing a function for a side effect. Um, which technically you are, but we're uh, we're sort of we're leveraging the compiler to pass this contextual object through all of the functions, and we're sort of storing these side effects 
uh, into this implicit parameter that's passed around. And so some of the same principles that you can apply to, to pure functions, you can apply to composable functions. And, um, and I don't know, this ends up being one of the, one of the key differences that, that people uh, point out if they're familiar with functional programming. But you drove it to a good point, which was my next question is, where does the compiler plugin come in here? Like, why do you need a compiler plugin? And why do you need, or, or maybe we can start with, uh, why do you need these composable functions to be annotated with composable? Right. Uh, so we we actually usually talk about this in, in by way of an analogy. Um, and I think the most apt analogy is is comparing it to suspend functions. And uh, if you think of suspend functions as, um, you know, not a language feature, but like someone could implement suspend functions with a compiler plugin, perhaps, and they would end up doing a lot of the same mechanics that we're doing, which uh, suspend functions in Kotlin end up compiling down to uh, functions that, you know, represent the, the original functions that were written except uh, an additional parameter is passed in and there's essentially a state machine that is generated and um, uh, leveraged in, in the code in order to uh, create you know, the effect that suspend functions have. And you can think of compose as kind of in the same order of like invasiveness. Um, the the semantic of the function that, that you're writing is, is more or less preserved. Um, but what we do is we generate machinery that communicates with our runtime uh, that allows us to understand uh, what, what UI hierarchy you're building and uh, what has changed since the last time that function is executed. And um, we, we do this in kind of a different way than other similar frameworks uh, do this, like, like Flutter or React or, or SwiftUI. Um, but the, a lot of the decisions we've made have been made in order to make the runtime performance um, better. And, and so basically to reduce the overhead that would, the runtime overhead that would be needed in order to essentially compare one result of the UI with the previous result. We're leveraging the compiler to uh, do some things in the function that that kind of make your code more efficient. So um, when you write the code, your one composable function will execute other composable functions. Um, and so you'll pass parameters into that function. But for instance, one of the things that our compiler can do is we can generate code that will compare the inputs that you're passing into a composable function and then choose actually to skip over that function entirely if we deem that the result of that execution would be the same. And so this, this kind of lets us... Um, uh, ha like you can have the programming mental model of I'm going to re-execute my entire composable function hierarchy uh, every time something changes. But what our runtime can do and the code that we generate is it can then go and make sure that only the functions that need to execute get executed. 
uh, meaning basically the functions where some of the data has changed. And, and we can kind of do some, some tricks because we're, we're a compiler and we have some understanding of, of what logic is going on um, to basically store this data in, in the most efficient way possible. Um, and, and so that, that's a lot of what the, the compiler plugin does. And, and it allows us to write the, the UI, the composable functions as if we're just executing other functions. And it's a similar sort of ergonomics win to what suspend functions have with um, you know asynchronous programming. Then would it be fair to say from that essentially the compiler plugin is there in terms of performance to make it more performant? Uh, I would say the the two primary reasons you could target are, are performance and ergonomics. Um, you know we we really had a a strong eye towards. Um, ergonomics and, and simplicity of of the API and, and, and the mental model uh, when we were designing Compose and and the compiler plugin had a, had a big part in terms of what ergonomics we could achieve. Okay, now as an end user, uh, let's let's mm-hmm. focus, for example, on Android, right? Because this is Jetpack Compose, and I'm not an Android developer, as I've clearly stated a billion times. I have primitives to build my UI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would I, as an end user, ever have to write a, a composable function? You know, annotated, like all of the ones that you provide are composable, right? They're annotated with, with this annotation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So when would I have to do it? When I create, for example, my own custom widget or component? Um, so you would you would do it even like if you want to think about it in terms of like you building your own custom widget, you can think of like your entire app as one giant custom widget, right? Yeah. Um, and so so the answer is yes. You would you would end up writing composable functions um, that would then call these other primitive composable functions that we've created. And so if you wanted to you know create a screen that said hello world. Uh, you would write a composable function that called our text composable function with the string hello world in it. Okay, but I would never have to touch any of the code regarding the compiler plugin, right? To be able to extend Jetpack Compose in this sense. Uh, yeah, correct. You you don't have to know anything about the, the compiler. Okay, you know. it's just that magic thing that's over there, right? That's not documented and no one knows how to write a plugin. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can think of it like, you know, I keep drawing the the analogy, but, um, you know, I mean, you can use suspend functions and you can call, you know, delay or, you know, uh, you know some, uh, you know, some HTTP uh, function or something with, with KTOR. And, and you don't need to know anything about what the compiler is doing under the hood. Um, you just know that whenever... Whenever you get to the line after the the call to delay, then that many milliseconds have passed, basically. And talking about compilers and talking about not knowing anything in terms of documentations, etc., you've got the added complexity that Jetpack Compose is using the new compiler technology, right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is something that's hard to explain to end users because sometimes we, um, you know, like one of the things that uh, that we're kind of fighting with is our compiler 
uh, depends on a, a new backend to the Kotlin compiler that, that JetBrains has been working on for for quite some time now. Um, and we're kind of we've kind of been developing these things in parallel. And so, in order for Jetpack Compose to launch, the new backend also has to launch. Um, and and so we're we're kind of uh, creating a, a chicken and egg situation here, but that that's definitely been um, a big part of it. Mentioning that you're using the new backend for the compiler, where does this leave people that actually want to try Compose? Do they need to use a specific version of Kotlin in order to do that? Yeah, and so th this is actually one of the things that um, made Compose really difficult to try out early on. And uh, one of the reasons why we kind of waited so long for um, for us to put out like a developer preview, but we, we've tried to make it as easy as possible. Right now, what uh, what can happen is you, you need to download uh, an alpha version of Android Studio, and it will use a corresponding uh, alpha version of the Android Gradle plugin. And it now has uh, some Compose configuration built into it. And so you can just say, Compose enabled true in your build.gradle and it will um, kind of switch to using or, or, or configuring the compiler in a way such that, that um, Compose will work. And so we, we've tried to make it as simple as possible. And there's even like a uh, uh, Compose getting started like empty project in, in that version of Studio. So it, it's not that bad to, to get started with Compose today. How has the uptake been? I mean, are you getting people to try it and, and give feedback? Yeah, I mean, there, there's been a lot of feedback. We've uh, it's been really fun to see. We we have um, uh, some Slack channels that that a lot of people come and uh, give us feedback or ask questions on. Uh, we we've gotten a lot of bug reports and uh, even some some contributions from folks, and and so it's been. It's been nice to, to kind of have uh, some people excited about it and, and working on something that, that people clearly want. Nice. I mean, it's always, you know, it, it's, I guess, and in this case, it's been even more difficult, as you said, right? Because you've got uh, external dependency, so to speak, that you need to have in order for people to try it. But you, at the same time, you know, I think the vast majority of uh, companies, I mean, companies, I don't know, some of them still do that, but this idea of let's release some developer, you know, let's work for five years on something and then release it to the developer community is beyond us, right? You know, you want to get things out as soon as possible to start to get feedback, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I was one of the people that was kind of pushing for us to at least kind of make public what it was that we were working on. Um, and I, I'm really glad that we did. It's It kind of isn't in typical Android style, um, but but I, I think that it's working out really well. And um, r really what it is, is like Compose is a pretty dramatic shift uh, from from sort of how things are and it's where we believe the the future will be but we didn't want to kind of catch people by surprise um 
when, whenever Compose reaches a, a stable release. And so uh, it's nice to kind of have this incubation time and, and have, have time where people can understand Compose, read about it, and um, kind of get used to the idea uh, and also participate in, in giving us feedback and, and help steer us um, in, in the directions that we're headed. And of course, you know, yourself, you came from a JavaScript background, right? So I'm assuming that you have worked with React as well, yeah? I believe mm -hmm. you, yeah. So, and you talk a little bit about how this is, you know, an idea is kind of like, kind of similar to React. Uh, and so that takes me to the next question, right? Which is, okay, so, uh, you know, React Native, for instance, is a multi-platform technology that uh, people can use to create, you know, uh, applications for multiple platforms, whether these are mobile or not. Where is Compose heading in this direction? And Or, or at least you could kind of say to me, if it's tied to Android, yeah, it's a good question. So we, we've actually been pretty intentional about uh, trying to keep Compose as separate from Android as makes sense. Um, and the the primary motivation for this for uh, for us so far has uh, has actually been what, what we think will be a pretty fruitful investment in um, in sort of tooling and and testing technology. So. One of the big pain points right now is that to test an Android app, um, you, you basically need to run your tests on device and, and building a device farm and uh, setting up your, your CI servers to, to do that um, is kind of a big pain. And launching an emulator locally uh, to run your tests, it really increases the amount of time it takes to, to run tests and, and all that. And so... Um, what, what we're trying to do is make it so that, uh, essentially all of Compose can run on the desktop, uh, in a host side environment. And so that you could, you could run tests without, uh, launching an emulator or, or a device of any kind. Um, and this was like kind of made really easy to do with Kotlin multi-platform, and uh, allowing us to specify sort of uh, JVM um, only dependencies and uh, Android specific dependencies. And so that, that's been kind of an interesting um, place for us. And, and we also think that this could be fruitful for, for tooling where we can, uh, for instance, start rendering compose code in, in the IDE uh, in the same process that the IDE is running in and, and uh, things like that. So um, basically, uh, kind of to get to the question that you're you're asking here is we, we've intentionally made Compose fairly decoupled, um, and Compose the actual runtime itself has has no dependencies on Android whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. But the uh, the UI toolkit that we're building on top of the runtime it, it does have some some Android dependencies. Um, but so we we think that it, it'll be an you know an interesting tool, and I know a lot of people are interested in in uh, using using Compose with Kotlin multi-platform uh, to target you know other other platforms other than just JVM and Android. And um, I don't know, it's interesting to to uh, 
to see if that'll be possible, but it's not something that um, the Android team is is focused on right now. Yeah, I just selfishly, I want to bring back desktop applications. I love them. I really do. Yeah, you know, me, me too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in, in kind of uh, building out the a desktop target, mostly for developer tooling. I, I think that, um, I think that you could build some really killer developer tools if, uh, if the IDE and the actual runtime were were running in the same process, and there was no. Uh, you know, no gap uh, between these these virtual machines. So yeah, and the current offerings in terms of UI frameworks. You know, when you're working with something like Kotlin right. native, is just. I mean, I'm not going to criticize them, but when you've done, you know, when you've done, kind of worked with UI frameworks at a high level of abstraction, and then you have to drop back down to some lower level stuff. It it is kind of painful. It's like, yeah, I, I know I mean, what I could have, but I don't have it, kind of thing. Yeah, right. I, I mean, it's it's why we're seeing a lot of investment, um, you know, in, in in things like like Chromium and um, Electron and, and stuff like that, is because you know e- even the web is is sort of a, a superior um, platform to be doing UI development on right now, and so like the desktop has kind of fallen behind. It hasn't received the the same level of investment that everything else has. And so now desktop apps are essentially just packaged web apps yeah. uh, for the most part. Of course, the dark side of me is kind of hoping to a sense that, I mean, you, you've experienced the, the web lately. Every website mm-hmm. you go to, it's 20 pop-ups and accept this, accept that. And it's just become horrible. It's, it's become like the old days, right? Yeah, well, especially if you navigate uh, to a website with your smartphone, I, I get extremely frustrated oh every God, time yeah. I see an open this and this app, and then it doesn't work, and you know you click it and it goes to the store or something. I don't know. I, I, I get so frustrated with how much websites seem to be uh, like it seems like they don't want you to use their website anymore. <laughs> yeah, and it, and rec- a few years ago, like there was this tendency of every time you would go to a website, it would prompt you and say, "Hey, why don't you install our application for a more uh, natural, better experience?" I'm actually yeah. longing for that to come back because. <laughs> the web has become so horrible. I'm just like, you know, as soon as I see any newspaper or anything that I read that there's a native app for it, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Like, I don't want to use the web anymore. Just just use the native app. So maybe that will push yeah. desktop to come back, hopefully, and we'll have some awesome framework to create nice UIs with. Cool. So for people that want to basically, you know, learn more or play with it, as you mentioned, download the alpha version of Android Studio. Is there already documentation on on developer.android.com for this? Yeah, so you can go to d.android.com slash Jetpack Compose, um, and there's some documentation. You can also browse our source code. Uh, I I believe we may point you to our our Slack community there, um, which actually our Slack community is just JetBrain Slack community. Uh, So we... We've uh, basically created a Compose channel in the Kotlin Ling Slack Slack community, and um, it's probably the the best place to if you're really wanting to dive into Compose. 
Um, it's probably the best place to learn more and, and kind of stay up to date because uh, my, my main concern is that blog posts and articles and stuff that are on the internet now um, Compose is going through such rapid iterations that they quickly become out of date. And so uh, uh, there's a lot of the Compose team that is on that Slack channel. Yeah. And it's it's the easiest way to kind of get the the uh, most most recent information, I guess. Yep. And of course, there's also your talk from Kotlin Conf where you kind of went under the covers and, and explained the insides of, uh, of Compose, which... Uh, I'd yeah. recommend people watch as well. Yeah, I think we're we're doing some pretty interesting things. And uh, for anyone that's familiar with how some of these other frameworks work, like Flutter, or React, um, or even SwiftUI, uh, Compose is actually pretty different. And um, and I think what we're doing is pretty interesting. So for for folks that are interested in that kind of thing, and um, yeah, do check out that talk. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. And I'm sure that we'll uh, do another show at some point where you'll give us the latest updates on Compose. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was always fun to chat with you. 